0: sing along we do appreciate it and once again thank you so much for coming out we've had a great time we hope you to we hope to see you all again soon we are the dirty boys we love you but uh this next song you need to know one word one word only. Gloria.
1: Here at the beginning, let you know this is not going to be a typical interview. This is actually part of a bigger experience I had. I went to a dirty door show and recorded some of it. And when I say recorded, it's more akin to like a bootleg quality. I just recorded it with my voice uh, memos on my phone. So don't expect anything too grandeur. But you know, Reed never reached out to me or anything. I reached out to him and said, Hey, I want to do an interview. Would you be interested? and he was more than happy to do it. We talk about this in the episode, but I'll pull the curtain back and not really bury the lead for you. He was originally picked. I picked him to be my co-host from the very beginning. He was the first person I approached about the podcast and our schedules. I don't know if our schedules just didn't line up or if he didn't have as much free time, but it's it, something along those that nature. And so I ended up just doing it myself. And I think in the end it worked out perfectly fine. And I think it would have worked out either way but he, he is, has been an asset. You notice I mention him a lot at the end of episodes and that's because he's always open to be, for me to message him. And, and he, especially if I'm going to pinch or something, he'll send me an answer back relatively quickly because he has so much knowledge. And I think this interview captures a lot of that. I would, I would even go as far to say that Reed, I would say that he's arguably the most knowledgeable Doors tribute front man of any Doors tribute band that's come out within the last 10 or 15 years. You know, I can't, Dave Brock and, and the guys, you know, I can't really speak for them, but he definitely knows his stuff, and that definitely shines through in this interview. A couple of things I wanted to mention. I do I do have a little flub here. I mix intricate and integral partway through the pod, podcast, so if you hear a weird made-up word, that's that's the word. I just sort of combine the two. I also misspoke, and I mentioned that the doors played with Argent at the warehouse in '72. And that is incorrect. They actually did not play at the warehouse. They played at the municipal auditorium in New Orleans. But Beaver Promotions did promote the show, as as they did with all the warehouse shows. So there's a little snafu there. Again, such a fun interview. You in these little clips. There's this uh, rather inebriated man <laughs> beside me at one of the at the show. And he was so into the show, as was everybody there. And at one point, you'll even hear him say, it sounds just like the damn tape. So I got a kick out of that. I I was trying not to laugh because I was recording right when he said that. And I will throw (laughs) Reed under the bus on this one. I don't think I told him this during the podcast. You notice there was a stretch of podcasts in June and July where I didn't have as many. I think I may have skipped all of June. I don't remember. But at this concert, I... (laughs) was screaming so loud and I guess I got so into it. I lost my voice and I was screaming for Gloria the whole time. And there's no way he could have known as me, but he did close They did close the show with with uh, Gloria. And you hear that in this podcast, but I was screaming so loud. I lost my voice. And I also uh, had, had some inner ear issues unrelated to that, but it, it sort of in conjunction with that had made me cancel a lot of shows. So, <laughs> I'm blaming Reed for that. He owes me at least three more podcast episodes So Reed. I know you're listening to this. I'm going to go ahead and pencil in for three more uh, for all the ones I'm, I missed in June and July. But all, all kidding aside, man, he this is such a fun interview. You can find The Dirty Doors on social media by just searching for The Dirty Doors. And, and you know, The Dirty Doors, are tribute to The Doors, is the is the page on Facebook. And uh, they actually do have a show coming up this Friday, December 15th, at the Boot Barn Hall in Gainesville, Georgia. So if you're in the area, if it's a few hour, maybe an hour or so drive from you, I would highly recommend. This is definitely one of the best Doors tribute bands going today. So I'd highly recommend it. And you'll hear that throughout this episode. You'll hear just how good they are. Also check out Reed's other page, Daily Doors History. I think he mostly posts with that on Instagram, but some amazing, amazing uh, pictures, information, I mean, he really knows his stuff, and he's really good about giving credit to photographers and, and anybody who who did that. So, again, he, he really is I, – I can't sing his praise enough. Maybe I just need to go ahead and, and just go to the interview. Hello and welcome to Opening the Doors, a podcast dedicated to the doors and everything in between. I'm your host Bradley Netherton. Joining me tonight, I think we first interacted in about 2014, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But someone who has his own cover band and is also one of the probably one of the most most knowledgeable Doors fans I know, uh, Reed Berrickman. How are you doing, man?
0: Good. Thanks for having me.
1: Man, I appreciate it. And just to peel the curtain back a little bit, when I first started this podcast, the first person I came to was yourself. To, help, yes, to yes. help co-host this. And I still I still talk to you quite a bit from time to time. If I, yeah, ever, yeah. If I ever have an, an... And you get a lot of credit at the end of the ep- episode. So if you I, ever hear... I appreciate
0: that. I don't know if I deserve it all that much, but I, I'm happy to help out when I can.
1: Well, anytime I have a, a question or, or anything I don't know, and I'm like, man, I really don't... I'm in a crunch. I do not have time to look into this. I'll, I'll shoot you a question. You'll usually write me back pretty quickly and, and clear things up. I'm like, thank, thank God for Reed being... Thank-
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, I have a pretty good memory for this stuff, but even if I don't, like, off the top of my head know something, I usually remember, like, which, which book to look to to find yeah. it. And it, one, it helps to have a weird memory like that sometimes.
1: Yeah. One of the ones that helped me out a lot is I was thinking, like, there was a, a reference to Charles Ford in, like, a Jim Morrison thing. And I'm like, what, what book was this in? And sure yeah. enough, you had the book right offhand and and gave that to me. He says, "Oh, it's right here in this." And I, I don't remember the book right offhand now, but
0: yeah, it, I don't even right now.
1: <laughs> but you were able to help me out. And you know, talking, you know, we mentioned all that. And before we get in, I guess to your to your awesome cover group, which I had the uh, chance to see live. You first got into the doors when you were twelve. You've said, uh, "In yeah. this in this age range, I don't know. It seems to be one of those age ranges where." When people are just ripe right for the doors. I talked to Jeff penalty and hopefully I'll have that interview out someday yeah. when I, when I finish edit, editing it. Yeah. But he also said around the same time he got into the doors and That's I was looking, yeah. And I was looking more into it. And I think there was a psychology professor at uh, one of the big universities that 14 is like this magic number. Like but that, that preteen to, to early teenage is like a magic number where development of musical taste sort of starts You link it to, I guess, the hormonal chains, the puberty and puberty, you know, and it becomes sort of like your badge of identity. And and all that being said, I guess what I want to get to is it takes a real aligning of the stars for someone nowadays, especially uh, I, I don't think we're too far off in age, you know, someone our age or, you know. To, to I'm, find, I
0: think I'm a, I think I'm a bit older than you are, but yeah, <laughs> just just a smidge maybe. But <laughs>
1: but you're still younger than um, um, you were born after Jim's death. I would say so. Sure, sure. Yes. So I think it sort of takes an aligning of the stars for even us to find the band. And if I remember correctly, you discovered the band in one of these esoteric ways. Like it's sort of a very interesting story. Do you care to to tell us how you discovered uh, the Doors?
0: Well, I, actually, I knew this would be part of the discussion, and I don't get to talk about it much. It's I don't know how interesting it is, but actually we could even go back further than 12. When I was a little kid, there was a, a place called Showbiz Pizza, which it's, it was a competitor to Chuck E. Cheese, which I think most people know what that is. It, I, there aren't many around anymore, but it's a, you know, it's a, a kid's pizza place. They have arcade games and then they have like animatronic band. I have the album here, actually, Hi. uh, the, the Showbiz band, they had, uh, an album that I got when I was probably about five years old and it's, it's mostly like, uh, cover songs from the 60s and 70s performed by some cover group. And the third song on the album is Light My Fire. I remember as a little kid, that was my favorite song on the album. You know, I grew up a little bit and the album got put away. And then, you know, so this was like early mid 80s. And then you fast forward uh, to 1991. That's when the Oliver Stone movie was coming out. And, uh, you know, I have feelings about that movie. But (laughs) when I was 12, I started seeing commercials and previews for the movie. And one night I I, I was watching MTV and I don't know why I was watching MTV because I didn't really like any current music at the time. And whatever I had been watching was over and I guess it was like eight o'clock or something. And the next program was starting. I was doing my homework, by the way, while I was watching TV. And I remember (laughs) I I looked up and uh, there was a guy sitting in a Jeep with spiky hair and glasses and he was sitting in the L.A. River, which if. Anybody seen Grease? It's the scene where they they do the drag races. It's basically yeah. a big dream. It's just goes through LA. And he said, Here's something I think you'll like. And he starts reading from this book. And I, I realized later it was Ray Manzarek and it was a rockumentary on MTV about the doors. And for whatever reason, I put my pencil down and I just was riveted by this rockumentary for the next 30 minutes or whatever it was. And then afterwards, they showed clips of the doors, you know, Ed Sullivan show and Smothers Brothers and that kind of stuff. And And I just remember. You know, it's was 12, and for whatever reason, I was like, hmm, that's this is interesting. And then they re-ran it the next night or two days later or whatever, and I watched it again. And I remember walking home from the bus stop the next day and trying to figure out in my head what the lyrics to break on through were... And I was hooked. And then not too long after that, I had my mom take me to the local record store, and I got the soundtrack album to the movie on cassette because I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know what any of the albums were or anything. So all, all I knew was this movie was coming out, and so I got the soundtrack album. And the song that first really grabbed me was "Break On Through," and I just listened to it over and over, and and I just I couldn't get enough of it. And yeah, that would that was that was where it started. And then soon after, I got the best of the Doors, and then I got each of the albums, and then I got T-shirts and posters and everything and the obsession uh, never stopped. <laughs> so here
1: yeah. we are. Yeah. When we mentioned the doors movie and that, I know that's a touchstone for a lot of people and a lot right. of, a lot of people to get into the fandom. And I think it's got its positives and negatives and, and I, yeah, oh,
0: sure. I mean, and, yeah. and I, I, I certainly, w- I, I probably would not have discovered the doors at that point in my life. If it hadn't been for the the movie, I'm sure I would have eventually, you know, discovered them. So, you know, I guess it certainly did, bring a lot of attention to the band that had maybe been waning. And as Apocalypse Now and, and No One Here Gets Out Alive had done, you know, 10 or so years earlier, the movie brought, you know, people like me and others got the attention. And that's a positive outcome of it. But I think it left a lot of people who maybe w- were not all that interested in the band. It left them with kind of a negative view of, of especially Jim and the band. And it's double-edged sword. But uh, yeah. yeah, I certainly give it credit for uh, at least bringing more attention to the band and the music.
1: Yeah, and one of the jumping off points I wanted to go from that is it being a touchstone. Is I guess everybody has their touchstones of the Doors, and I sure. guess my three touchstones of the Doors, if I'm remembering, is the '85 Greatest hit CD, which was the first CD I heard. Yep. The right. the '97 box set, which I was so fascinated with hearing mm-hmm. for the first time. I don't know just the. I think that was the first. It was either that or because I, I didn't find them till I was in seventh or so grade, which would have been two thousand six, two thousand seven. So it was either that or I remember here in Boston the live show first. But I found the box yeah. set randomly, and I, right. I, plan, I plan on doing an episode on that later this year. And then the third touched on was the two thousand seven Doors Perception box set. It was such a great box set that I thought was so right. interesting, yeah. and, and was one of the, sort of the first one to have a lot of like extensive amounts of you know outtakes and stuff.
0: Well, yeah, and that was the first one with the uh, surround mixes. Yes, which you could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. cool.
1: But that being said, what are some of your touchstones of the Doors?
0: I mean, well, the movie and and yeah, the, the the soundtrack album and the best of the Doors were the first recordings I had. And then I remember I got the the third thing I got was the in concert album, which yeah. was which was basically a combination of Absolutely Live and Alive She Cried, and then. Uh, few things from Hollywood Bowl and and the Roadhouse Blues version from American Prayer. But yeah, I guess those were the first, you know, three things that really got me. And then you mentioned the box set. I remember you know it's funny from the time i discovered the doors at the time it came out was like six years but when you're that age six years is an eternity and i remember it felt like i waited forever for this box set to come out and then the night they released it i i went to tower records in atlanta which is of course gone and at midnight on you know the tuesday when they used to release stuff they would open the store and you could come but and so i went down there on that well i guess monday night and then i yeah i got the out the box set at midnight and i was so excited to finally have it and Honestly, the box set ultimately I felt was kind of a letdown. I was a little disappointed there. There was some really great stuff on it, but you know, like they also, there was a lot of stuff they didn't include that they could have and then there was some stuff they included it's like why and that often is the case with with doors release yeah and and you know i don't and i don't want to get too negative here because i always try to remember to be grateful for the stuff that we do have and all the great music that we've gotten in and we have gotten a lot of great releases over the years but i question some of their judgment sometimes on certain things yeah yeah i I would agree And, and, and also i always have to remember that you know hardcore fans like us we want certain things, but they, and there's only so many of us. They have to, you know, market this stuff to more casual fans who might not care about certain things that we care about. But
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, know. and the same thing with like the, one of the things that comes off firsthand is like Paris Blues, like having it, and then just the weird hodgepodge of the other tracks on there. And I'm sort of like, oh, you know,
0: sort of made yeah. sense. Well, but, I guess, I guess with that, they had to, they had but to, but you got to feel it
1: somehow, but then you Yeah, put,
0: exactly. They had to fill it with something. But yeah, it's just like, oh, let's throw these other bluesy sort of songs on there and then
1: didn't they yeah. and they included two of the jim morrison tracks from the yeah
0: the cinematech 16 yeah
1: from yeah. was it mailer that or that he was doing a norman Maylor, norman yeah, Maylor, and, i'm sorry
0: and it was um yeah it was jim and robbie just the two of them performing and uh, i think it was frank leciandro who made the recording yeah uh, and it was and it was not like any kind of professional recording just a couple of selections from that which the only thing we had heard from that before was on the on an american prayer they there's a little yeah. snippet uh, that's included on that,
2: but
1: I, you know, I thought maybe they could release the whole thing, and I think some of that's tied up with the Morrison estate, like who, who really I knows? Think
0: that, yeah, that's there, there. there is a lot of legal legality stuff with if 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 it qualifies as poetry, then it it falls under Morrison and Carson estates, and then if it's music, then it's Doors, and sometimes the two clash. And yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I'm certainly not privy to all that stuff, but yeah, I know that's part of the problem with some of it. <laughs>
1: You know, and The Doors one of our favorite bands. Often, you know, from Venice Beach, often often built from Los Angeles. And Mm -hmm. in 2012, you were sort of at a crossroads, and you thought about moving to Los Angeles and going and going Um, out west. uh, Yeah, and eventually decided against it. Started the Dirty Doors. Right. Tell me about the process of that. Like, what got you wanting to move? Out west uh, and, and sort so well, of- I
0: you know, I, I at that point, I was I was working at a job um that I really didn't like. I don't know if you call it a it wasn't midlife crisis or I hope not, but it was a, it was a, I don't know. I was just at a point in my life where I I was just like in this job that I didn't really like, and I just felt like I hadn't really done anything that I felt you know proud of or whatever, and and I just started asking myself, what am I really interested in? What do I really care about? And it was usually music. You know, and I, and I guess, you know, and I'd always been into entertainment and music and movies and stuff. And I thought, oh, maybe I should move to LA. That's where everything is. And and I, I thought I had an internship lined up out there, but then it kind of fell apart. And I had, I had quit the job that I didn't like. I thought about moving out there anyway, but thought, oh, I don't know if I want to go out there if I don't have something to go to. And so I, I ended up staying in Atlanta and then thought, oh, maybe I'll... I'll continue to look for opportunities in L.A. since I have suddenly didn't have much to do because I I had thought about doing the tribute band before that. And I had actually kind of put some ads on Craigslist trying to find musicians and, and didn't have much luck. And so I sort of forgot about it. And then again in 2012, I thought, well, let's try that again. And so I started putting ads out again. And yeah, I got a I got a response from a drummer who knew a keyboard player who was still Uh, the keyboard player in the band. And that's how it all started.
1: And what was, if you don't mind me asking, what was the the job that you were working at in Atlanta that you weren't too fond of? I
0: was was working for a a company that makes laboratory equipment and i was kind of the marketing guy there it was a job i kind of fell into and just yeah wasn't it wasn't really a, yeah yeah, no, yeah I think it was, didn't give me much professional uh satisfaction or whatever so, and 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 now i i actually i still i still have a, a regular day job and it, and it is still in marketing but it's i don't know for some reason now the job i have now i i like it a lot more and it helps that i have the band is sort of a creative outlet and, and something fun to do.
1: You know, just to get off from the side, something you mentioned talking about midlife crisis, I've been studying. I don't know if you've ever looked into it. Like the, it's the hero's journey in relation to like manhood and like the, the way, I guess a man's life and how a man starts out as a page and goes to a knight and then goes to a prince, then goes to a king. And then somewhere between the, the prince and the king, he like has this tunnel that he has to overcome. And it's like the, you know, either he, he sees the kingdom that he's built and he, turns away from it or he, and he produced, you know, pursue something else. And, and I think oftentimes we call it a midlife crisis, but it doesn't have to be like a midlife thing. Right. Like, right. Like, and, and that, that's something I think I experienced as well. Uh, and it's, it wasn't, you know, definitely not in the middle of my life, but I felt like yeah, I was at a crossroads where do I, what am, is what I've done now? Is it, I just sort of changed pr- professions altogether, moved out of my apartment and then was looking for something else, you know? And, Right. I don't know. I just find, I just think that sometimes it, the midlife crisis g- sort of gets put on things, but there's actually sort of an interesting little psychological well, sure.
0: bit to it, you know? Yeah, and I think sometimes you have to reach a point where you're—I don't know if you call it a breaking point—but just a point where you, you know, you, you, you have to kind of take stock and figure out what do you what do you really want to do? And the band thing, I, get, I think it was with you know the rise of YouTube and social media and stuff. I I started seeing other Doors tribute bands, and actually. Like I I remember there was a band called The Backdoors in the 90s that were very popular, and they played in Atlanta several times, and I wasn't old enough to see them because they always played at places that were like 18 and up or 21 and up, and I remember I I did want to see them at one point, but I never did, and I don't know when exactly they split up, but they split up before... You know, social media and YouTube. So I've never, I've never even like seen any video or or anything of them. But people come to our shows a lot and we will mit- talk about them and mention that they were really great. But they they apparently toured a lot, like on the eastern part of the country back like in the '90s, when I started seeing um, tribute bands, Doors tributes on on YouTube and whatnot. It's like some of them were pretty good and some of them I I didn't think were very good and. And I just started thinking, you know, I I could do that. That that seems like fun.
1: Yeah, and you're based out of Atlanta. You've talked about right. that. You you mostly perform in the South. But you know, you being based out of Atlanta, one of the interesting things—the name, the Dirty Doors—you have this post on your Instagram. And right. I'm pretty sure you have it pinned on your Twitter or, or yeah. something like that. The first thing I think of is being, a, I'm a Falcons fan. We're sort of okay. closer to Atlanta than anything. So I grew up with the Hawks, sure. the Braves, the Falcons. Right. So I remember yeah. the the Dirty Birds, they used to be called. And that's because right. because of Atlanta being called part of the Dirty South. But what does right. the Dirty Doors mean? And give whatever all the meanings are, whatever possible meanings it yeah. could have.
0: Well, so when we first started, like I... I think I wanted to call us Morrison Hotel. I think was the original. Like, and then I I found out there was already at that time there was another Doors tribute called Morrison Hotel, and and then I I quickly realized that all the good song titles and album titles, yeah. all that stuff was taken, and and I wanted something that was unique to us, and and so I just remember one night we were all kind of the the band was sitting around and we were trying to we were just throwing out name ideas, and where it where it came from in my brain was in John Densmore's book Writers uh, on the Storm. There's a part where he's uh talking, I think it was in the aftermath of New Haven when you know Jim was arrested. And he was he was kind of quoting like newspaper articles or whatever that said stuff like, don't hire the dirty doors. Yeah. And and for some reason that was in my brain. And I I remember I spit that out and I thought, hey, that's that's maybe that's that's good. And and the more I thought about it, it made sense because and there's also instances of Ray Manzarek referring to them as the dirty doors and it's just it basically it's kind of how they were viewed by the establishment back in the day and then there's the dirty south element us being from atlanta also like the uh, origin of the name of the band the doors is from the william blake quote which which was you know used by uh, aldous huxley for his book the doors of perception and the william blake quote says uh, if the doors of perception were cleansed things would appear to man as they are infinite And before things are cleansed, they are dirty. The more I thought about it, it's like, oh, that all kind of makes sense. So that's the name we went with. And we actually, we got some feedback from somebody that, you know, they felt the name was like offensive or problematic. I don't know. We actually almost changed it at one point and then decided against it. But I I haven't really gotten that feedback from too many people. So I think, I don't know. I think it's a a unique and uh, kind of intriguing name. So that's who we are.
1: Yeah, and speaking of, it's sort of a misnomer in some instances. I went. To, I think the show I went to was a, a family friendly event, and yeah, and you did. Uh, been down so long, and I think the lyrics you changed it to were "been down so gosh darn long." So you, yeah, you cleaned it, it, it up. Well, yeah,
0: we. <laughs> Honestly, those kind of gigs aren't are always my favorite. Where it's, yeah. um, you know, the, there's a lot of children running around. It just doesn't seem like the right atmosphere. But um, yeah. yeah, so I, I do try to. I do. If we do a song like that, I might clean it up a little bit for those instances. But that that's very that's an unusual thing. And we, yeah, I don't even. I think we did that song because that was kind of a longer show. And so that was when we kind of had to fill the, fill the time. And so that was part of the reason we did that one too.
2: Yeah.
1: And I've got some bits from that show. I may put in, uh, I'm going to look, listen through okay. what I got and put in, put into this interview. Maybe some people want to listen to that on page three fifteen of John Dinsworth's book, writers on the storm, thinking yep. about the trial, paranoia swept back over me. The thought that the local public would find out where we were staying and hassle the quote unquote, dirty doors as the Miami Herald labeled us scared me. The local sentiment was summed up by, Larry Mahoney, one of the Herald journalists who managed to work up the people of Dade County against us, they'd crucify Morrison if they could. Yeah, so we talked about the dirty doors, and another thing that you talked about. It, it took you a little while to get comfortable on stage, and you know, much like it did Jim. What what was the turning point for you getting up on stage that made you more comfortable? Was there anything that changed?
0: I I, I think it was just a matter of doing it. I, I had done some plays in high school and, and especially in college, uh, so I wasn't completely uncomfortable on stage. I hadn't really ever sang in front of people before. That was the that was the part that was a little
1: unnerving
0: Yeah. And, and, but I don't really, luckily I don't really get, I'm not, I don't, I don't really have a problem with stage fright. Um, I remember I was a little nervous at our first very first show and then a couple of other sort of milestone gigs after that. But I think, yeah, it was just a matter of doing it, you know, enough times to feel more confident, feel more comfortable up there.
1: Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned is that when you started, you had short hair, you didn't have any leather pants, And you said you didn't think that it sort of mattered that much, but you realized quickly that it wasn't, uh,
0: that that wasn't the case. uh, When when we first started, I don't know, I didn't, I thought, I I don't know, I felt silly doing the whole dress up thing. And and I thought, you know what, we're just going to play the songs really well and and sound good. and, And that's all that matters. And so, yeah, the very first show we did, I had short hair, I had no leather pants, I just went out in like a shirt and jeans and the other guys certainly didn't do anything to kind of to look like their counterparts. And yeah, immediately afterwards, everybody's like, you got to grow your hair out, or you got to get a wig or you got to get leather pants. And yeah, so I did get the leather pants, I gradually grew my hair out and finally, yeah, I gave in and went all the way with it. And, uh, yeah, we, it was, that was also kind of a process of, of finding the right look and, you know, tribute bands, it's such a weird thing. Cause yeah, you're, you're going out there and playing other people's music and trying to sound like those people. And, and, you know, in a lot of cases look, trying to look like them. Um, and that's just something that a lot of people who come to see us expect. And so I, you know, we, we've, we've kind of, found the balance that works for us between the sound and the look and you know some bands really go all out with the look and even seem to focus more on the look than sounding like the band and i don't know one thing with us i i always said no wigs cuz i just think wigs look stupid and yeah. you know it might be okay for some bands but like i don't know i feel like the doors were kind of serious even though jim certainly had a sense of humor and the rest of the guys did too but i think they were serious about their music and i i try to Give it the respect that I feel it deserves, and and I just I know I think when you get into wigs and stuff, it gets a little little cheesy or a little corny or whatever. So, but we you know everybody kind of has their idea of what the doors were like. I have my idea, and other people have other ideas, and we just try to go out there and give a entertaining show and a you know really do justice to the music and have a good time, but also you know try to blow people's minds.
1: Yeah. And I I remember, I think I've seen just sort of looking for information and stuff to put into the show. I saw a, an early video of you in the band and you looked like sort of like Morrison from like the 67. Was it the fantasy fair and magical festival where he had, he cut his hair real short, you know, some some of them, you sort of had that look to it where I thought, you know, he's getting coming into the gym. Of course, nowadays, you know, you've, you've, uh, you've got it more, you know, you definitely have the, have the gym flowing locks now but i thought right. that was interesting either way you know you talked about other bands and that's one of the things i wanted to mention on is to talk about is you you've talked about how there are other bands at the time and you're you're sort of grinding and you don't know you know you sort of are still like oh you know this is a, a cool gig and you said that one of the first gigs you felt like you're there or that it was different was the five points halloween parade and you felt like that okay. was sort of a turning point for the band. I know I've probably used turning point a lot in this podcast, but <laughs>
0: I think that was the, f- that was the first time we played in front of like a really big crowd that that was still pretty early on it- with us. And uh, in, in Atlanta, they have, there's an area called little five points and they have a big Halloween parade and party every year. And we were asked to play whatever year that was. I don't know if that was 2013 or something like that. And anyway, that that was like, the first like i said the first time we played in front of a really big crowd and and i think that was the f- maybe the first time even that i i kind of felt like i i my hair was the right length and yeah. that i kind of had the the look going right and and i just remember it was a really it was like the first time i really had a good time on stage and i really felt good about our our uh, performance and got a lot of positive feedback and so i think that was the just the first time that i, I really felt okay this 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 could be something I think we we've got something here.
2: Yeah,
1: and I think it was right around that time in 2014. I think it, you know somewhere in there where we first had our first interaction. Well, it, yeah,
0: I remember you were you were on some kind of trivia contest or something, and, and yeah. I remember I, I saw it on the doors facebook channel or wherever they showed it and and i remember i was impressed with with your knowledge and i was like oh and he and I, I i guess you said you lived in alabama and i was like oh he's not too far away i should get to know this guy so yeah i think i think i i think i had maybe reached out to you on on facebook or whatever and
1: yeah it only took me nine years to come see a show so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which, which I, you, I don't know man sometimes for me like is probably like a three and a half hour drive yeah like yeah i it's, like,
0: yeah, know no, it's it's but not I, as close as you think it is. Yeah. But I would go to
1: Atlanta a lot, so I don't know why I never called a show. I think it just never worked out that way. But you sent right. out a, even sent out a tweet and congratulated me, and I really appreciated that for winning. I the only thing I, I was still kick my you, you ever look back and stuff and you'll kick yourself like I missed the first sure. qu- I was so nervous that I missed the first question. Sure. I think it was uh it was about when does Jim say uh remember when we were, when we were in Africa and I just blew it. I, it's wild child, but I just I just said yeah. the wrong thing oh sure but you know it's just stuff like that happens
0: well it's funny like you, you watch something like jeopardy and you're like oh come on that was easy yeah. like you know they're they're on tv in front of you know thousands of people and it's it's easy to get nervous and lose your train of thought Best.
1: So yeah, you've talked about not liking the wigs, and I agree with you there. It's a little bit over the top, the wigs, and and that you can overperform it. Yeah. And one thing that you've talked about is that you present the Dirty Doors as seeing the band on a great night, ditching mm-hmm. overblown caricatures. You know, not bringing out a whiskey bottle as a prop, and you know, mm-hmm. doing any of that. And your set, the set list that y'all do, really spans their entire career. You know, why is that? Why is that important to you? Why is it important to? to why don't you do the caricature of GM? Is there,
0: well, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's kind of funny because on, it's I mean, it's mostly on social media. You get, you know, com- you know, we post a, post a fair amount of video clips and, you know, you get comments from people. Sometimes one guy will say, you should be more animated. Why are you just standing there? And then the next guy will say, you're too animated. You're over the top yeah. with your actions. Why don't, you know, you're, you're, you're overdoing it. And so you, you can't, you know, you can't please anybody. I, I'm not, not animated, but I guess it's just the, the guys I see one. Well, I mean, it's a couple of things, but the, some guys, you know, they're, they're all about jumping around and rolling around on the stage. And, you know, Jim certainly did some of that. I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that, but also I'm, I'm a little, you know, Jim was in his twenties when he was doing all that. I'm not in my twenties. So it, it's, it's not, it's not so easy for me, especially in leather pants to be rolling around on the stage and jumping around and all that stuff. But like, I've just, I've seen, and I saw one band in person, I'm not going to name any names, and I've and i and I've seen some on stage that I feel like they're putting more energy into rolling around and jumping around than they are into singing. Yeah. And it's like, I would rather hear the songs performed well than just see somebody, you know, rolling around on stage. But I know some people want that over-the-top kind of clownish version of Jim, but that's, that's not what we do. So, you know, uh, we... And and again, I'm not saying that we're boring or that we don't put a lot of energy into our shows because we
1: yeah, you certainly do, do. yeah, do. Uh,
0: um, but it, it's just if you want a kind of cartoonish version of the doors, then we're not the tribute band for you,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and when I think of impersonators, one of the, growing up in the south, I don't know about you in the south in Alabama, though, it was so big to have like Elvis impersonators like oh, sure. everywhere, especially in the nineties yeah. for some I think it was partially. Did Jerry Hopkins come out with his Elvis biography in the ni- or late 80s, maybe early 90s? Or was, No, I think he came out with it in the 70s. but maybe Yeah, it had that a, was in the 70s. He yeah, yeah, had a he, big he reprint or something. It
0: to Jim because Jim had uh, planted the idea in his yeah. head. That he, you know, so, yeah, that was an interesting... Yeah, connection. but I think
1: there was a big reprint or something. I don't remember. Right. But I don't know. Elvis has always been big, been big in the South. But there, oh, was, sure. there was like this big, you know, oh, man, look at this Elvis impersonator. And when you see an Elvis impersonator, you don't really... They're, they don't go and like. There's usually not a Jerry Chef impersonator on bass, or you know, the, you really, right. really don't have other people sort of playing the parts. But with a Doors cover band, you have you know, off the the group is very integral, and there's something I think you know Ray is just as important as John or Robbie or Jim, you know, truthfully. And I know oh, Jim yeah. sort of gets the the front, you know, spot you know, the, sure. the spotlight and everything, but everything sort of works in tandem with the Doors. So I don't know if there's a que- a question really there. But I've seen some of the other groups too, and some of these guys. I know of one group, you know. Again, I don't want to name any names, as well, where the lead singer I don't think really knows a lot about the band, and it's a yeah. bigger. I, I
0: get that impression a lot of times too. From it, so I'm yeah. like, where, where are they? And it's funny because it's not even, you know, we've it's not even always the singers. Like I'll, I'll, um, I'll see some tributes, and like the guitarist will we just be playing it's like what are you what are you playing that's not how Robbie played the song at all it's like you're just making up your own parts or or the drummer it's like you're doing all this weird stuff that Dinsmore didn't do and 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 that that sometimes jumps out to me even more than than the, the singers so yeah I I'm just so obsessed with the Doors and I and I'm I've you know been listening to these these songs for over 30 years so you know I just feel like I know how they're supposed to sound, and I, all the live versions and all the studio versions and everything. And, and I hear some of these tribute bands, and I'm I'm thinking that's not that doesn't sound like the Doors. That doesn't sound how, like they would play it. But again, it goes back to you have to think about. Well, most casual fans wouldn't know the difference really. Or and so well part of the thing when I when we first started the band, I used to say and I still kind of feel this way, I, I probably would not go see a Doors tribute band because I would, I would just be so hypercritical that yeah. I, I just don't think I would enjoy myself. And and I have seen other, other tributes to other bands. Like I know of a great Fleetwood Mac tribute that's based yeah. in Atlanta. They're yeah. Amazing. You can and mention
1: I, them rumors. They're they, Rumors. They're, yeah. They're um, and,
0: and, Thanks to rumors, we we we've opened for them several times, and we got to play in a lot of places that we might not have played otherwise. Thanks to them, but like uh, the, there's a, a famous Led Zeppelin tribute called Zoso. Uh, they're amazing, and you know I love Led Zeppelin, and, and I've seen other tributes, to other bands that are great. And you know I, I'm not saying that there aren't great Doors tributes besides us; there certainly are. But it's just I'm I'm such a Doors fan, and I'm so critical about the sound, and and like I just feel a lot of them don't quite get it, and you know somebody might say the same about us but I I really and you can ask the guys in the band I'm pretty nitpicky about yeah. hey, hey you're not playing that right but I mean that that really isn't even an issue anymore because they're they're all the three of them are so great and they're all really great musicians and they all really pay attention to the details and they they really respect the music and I'm lucky to have uh, the three guys in the band that are, you yeah, know, that are with me. So
1: yeah, much like Jim at the Boston arena falling off a stack of amplifiers, you have stumbled into a great segue on, in my notes here because your, your band is really a byproduct of your love for the doors. And that's one thing yeah. that you mentioned. Sure. That you. What led you to study more into the band and become an expert? Like anybody can be a fan of the doors, but sure. it, it takes like a, a special uh, yeah, I, sort of personality trait to literally key into like the, the details, you know?
0: I guess I just. I love the music so much and I, and, and Morrison was such a fascinating character. And I mean, really they are all, 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 of them are interesting, but I, I mean, just Jim, especially. And I just, I remember, I think the first book I got was actually John Dinsmore's writers on the storm. I think yeah. it was the first one I got, and it actually had come out. I think it came out the year before the movie was released. And yeah, um, yeah,
1: yeah. It came out nine. Uh, and, and, and
0: so that was the first one I read. And then I just, I don't know. I think, I think no one here gets out alive, which, you know, of course is the big one. I, th- I think I read that next. And and then I just, I just, I don't know. I just was, I just wanted to know where did this music come from? Who are these people? Who are these guys that put this music together? And, and I just, every book, every magazine article, every, you know, whatever I could get my hands on. And I, and I just, I just had to, had to read it all. And, and now I'm at a point though, where if, if a new book comes out, I, i i often don't want to read it because now all i see are the mistakes in the book like i'll read a book and i'm like this isn't right this is wrong that's not the right year that's not the right whatever so that that happens a lot too but like you know uh, of course robbie's book i got and and loved it and shout out to jeff penalty for doing a great job yeah oh amazing Uh, and thank you to jeff for mentioning our band in the book along with some other doors tributes and then uh, Vince Trainer's book I read because Vince was a, a guy who certainly had a lot to share, and he had a few interesting tidbits in his book too. Uh, a, a
1: lot to share. That is a yeah, yeah. that's a, a lot, that's a big a lot. book.
0: Yeah, <laughs> too much. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm grateful to, you and I'm 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 so hopeful that uh, Bill Siddons will write a book.
1: Man, I am now. too. Hey, um, you know, I, I think I can say this maybe on the record. I've talked indirectly with Bill Siddons. And uh-huh. sort sort of it's through through multiple channels. I never realized that he didn't see Jim's body after he died. The, the oh
0: yeah, oh yeah, that's that's well yeah, that's one of the big the big things about yeah. And I I think Ray was always kind of like, what, what were we doing over there? Why did yeah. why do you think we sent you over there? But there yeah. was
1: a whole rumor that he did see it for the longest time. I thought oh
0: really? Could, yeah, I had always had I'd you always known that he, yeah that he had not seen it,
1: which is crazy to me. And I I don't remember if I may hopefully I to record it, it, that story somewhere.
0: Bill he was a kid when when he was yeah. their manager. I mean even even by the time Jim died he was only 22 or 23 mm-hmm. or something. I mean he he was he was very young and you know that was partially by design. They wanted somebody that they could trust more and then that knew you know I think they they were wary of older people and so they wanted somebody that they could they who was kind of one of them but also could you know they they could yeah. they could they could manage him just as much as he could he could manage them I think was the way it, was yeah
1: yeah and you know we talked about that your your intense fandom uh to Hmm. to probably put it lightly uh you know you've studied the doors are there any periods i guess in doors history that you like to hone in on in your studies or something that you're particularly an aspect maybe like their live performance that you're interested in because like like for instance when i was growing up i remember like the end of jim's life was so fascinating to me and and the whole rumor that you know, here's the tape of the 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 tape he carried around with him that he actually recorded in a Paris studio that we found out later was, <laughs> no. you know, not true. Yeah. But is there anything, any particular period or aspect that you were that you like to hone in on or interested I'm,
0: in? I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I I I'm kind of. I mean, I'm really fascinated by it all and. I don't know. I, I do want to dig more into his or Jim's early life. Cause I feel like there's some holes there that are, haven't really been explored by a lot of people. And even when I read some of the biographies, they kind of gloss over certain years and, and maybe there's just not a lot that happened, but, but, you know, I mean, you yeah, know, there's so many fascinating periods and just like his early life. And then the UCLA wow. and, and, you know, uh, his, his early filmmaking and then meeting Ray and then just the band getting together and, the rise to stardom and all that stuff is fascinating, and then Jim's struggles with alcohol and and their problems. I mean, you know, Miami is such an interesting that whole scenario with the, the concert and the aftermath and the trial and everything. And then, of course, Jim's mysterious death. I mean, it's all there's all there's plenty of drama and plenty of stuff to go around. Something else, I you know, I I maybe another era that I I should know more about that I don't is is the post Morrison. You know, 71, 72, the, yeah. you know, the other voices, full circle era. I don't, you know, that's something I haven't gotten into as much as maybe I should. My expertise certainly <laughs> drops off after July of, of 71. Yeah. One
1: uh, of the, inter- yeah. And speaking of that, one of the interesting things I found out recently was I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the zombies and, and yeah. er- ergo, uh, Rod Argent played with his own group Argent.
0: Mm.
1: They did a concert with the doors post Morrison at the warehouse, that I, oh. I really want to dig into more, but you know, mm-hmm. s- some of that, some of that is sort of law. Lo- like there's no recordings or anything from it. So yeah. I'm sort of, I, I have an end well, and I, possibly with zombies management. I, w- I would love to talk to Rod. I know he just had a health scare recently though. So
0: once you mentioned the warehouse, I, I think I read that the, uh, the guy who has the, I don't know. Do people know what we're talking about on some of this? Oh, yeah. The
1: new the the last concert. There's a a,
0: the the Doors final concert with Morrison was in New Orleans in December of 1970. And there's a guy who claims to have a tape of the concert who I believe just passed away, if I'm not mistaken. And so now there's a big question is A, does he actually have the tape? And B, now what's going to happen to that tape? Uh, because people like us would love to hear the, the tape. So yeah, I don't, and and, uh, and that's something, I think you, I know you've looked into that a little bit. You might know even yeah. more about that. Tape uh, George, yeah,
1: George um, Friedman was the man's name. He had the tape and okay, he did pass right. away. And I, t- I think I may have been one of the, you know, may, maybe not, I may be one of the last people to talk to him about mm-hmm. it because I asked right. him a price. And yeah, uh, I don't know how much I can say about this, but sure. he he was not very open to discussing
0: that. Yeah. I don't understand that. I don't, I don't get the people that no, know. hoard stuff like that. and. Especially I mean, I yeah, I guess the, the story I'd always heard is that he wanted some ridiculous yeah. amount of money. And, you know, I don't even know if he'd ever provided a sample of the audio quality to anybody or maybe somebody at the doors camp. I don't know. And I but I'm I'm really curious to hear what kind of what the performance was like. Was it as bad as everybody says it was? Because it's interesting about Isle of Wight. The, the the other doors all seemed to think that was a bad concert. And, and for years before, and, you know, there were bootlegs of it um, yeah. for a long time, but they would always talk about, oh, it's terrible. It's a horrible show. And it's really not. It's a really actually a solid concert, especially for 1970. The, you know, the only thing about it is Jim just stood there and he wasn't very animated, but If you just listen to it, he actually he sounds pretty good, and the band sounds pretty good, and especially considering that like they hadn't gotten much sleep, and you know they traveled, and they were playing really late at or early in the morning, or however you look at it. So I I wonder, is the New Orleans show as bad as they say it is? Maybe I don't know, and hopefully we'll get to hear it because you know that they did the two shows in Dallas the night before New Orleans, and and those are they're they're pretty good, yeah, not terrible. There's audience recordings of those, and and they're not. Amazing concerts, but their Jim sounds into it and they sound pretty good. And of course, he, yeah. he could have a really good night one night and then the next night be terrible. Uh, so that was yeah. a problem with Jim in the door sometimes, is you and- didn't know what you were going to get.
2: Yeah.
1: You know we talked about that and and you've you've been booking more shows in Florida recently. I noticed have you ever thought about growing out a beard and uh, giving given that aquarius gym look uh, or the or the that Miami gym look
0: I can't grow a beard quite as as thick and manly as as jim could um i I did actually the only time in my life I've had a beard was during covid i uh I just stopped shaving like a lot of guys I think did and that was the only time i and I did have a decent beard going on I don't know i I maybe I suspect maybe when I, if, depending on how long I, I do this for as I get older, maybe to, if I need to cover up my face more, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll grow, I'll do the beard thing. But for right now, I, I don't, I don't think so.
1: Hey, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> it looks like I can grow good beard. It's really patchy unless I grow it out though. So yeah. I, man, you never know until you grow it all the yeah. way out. Hey, getting...
0: Maybe someday. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, speaking of Florida and you know you've met some interesting people especially oh, yeah. you know along yeah. the way that are yeah, linked to doors history yeah you know where i'm going with this so how about <laughs> <Angie>.
0: yeah tell <laughs> tell me about meeting her and some other people you uh, met if you've met any more people i'm trying to think. i don't remember exactly how i started talking to her by the way we're talking about angela bucci silvers she met jim she lived in miami and she met she she actually went to the doors miami concert and met jim during the trial because uh, she was asked to be a witness For the defense she was in a facebook group and i guess that's how i first became aware of her and then i don't remember who reached out to who but yeah we just started talking and uh she she lives in florida and uh we were we had a show down there and she reached out to me and said she wanted to come to the show and so yeah she came backstage and we met and she's great and we we uh actually had breakfast the next day. And we had a long talk uh, about her experiences with Jim and, and, and everything. And yeah, she's got a lot of interesting information about Jim and the time they spent together. And um, I know she shared it with someone who who's working on a book. And so hopefully some of her stories will come out through that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we kept in touch. And uh, she saw us at uh, our last show in Florida back in August, I guess.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Maybe one day we can convince her to I could use a co-host one day. Have a special co-host. We could get some of that stuff yeah. recorded down on the pod, if yeah. if that was something she'd be interested in. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, is, is there anybody else you've met through? I
0: guess. Uh, uh, well, I, I did get to meet Jeff Alulis. You know, he 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 mentioned the band in the in the in the book. I reached out to him, and we actually had lunch together. And great guy. And uh, and I saw him, I saw Robbie at the whiskey back in July. Oh, wow. and, uh, and Jeff was there uh, one of the nights I was there and we hung out a little bit and talked and, and he's a really great guy and did such a great job on that book, uh, getting all the information together <laughs> and getting Robbie's stories and kind of organizing them in a way that was interesting and different. And and uh, he I think he really made a valiant effort to fact check everything. And, and, you know, it's it's one of the most accurate of the of the doors books. And I think a lot of it has to do with with Jeff hundred
1: percent. So, yeah. yeah, man. Yeah. And, and me and Jeff had a probably four or five hour conversation, man. Oh, wow. I don't know yeah. how much of that's going to make into the pot. I don't remember how sure. much, because we talked a lot off, off air, just about life, man. He is such an interesting guy. Oh yeah. Just the coolest guy ever. When you talk to sure. him, man, uh, yeah. a lot of yeah. cool hobbies.
0: And he actually, he just recently uh, published an article about, he, he he went on a quest for the best burger in Los Angeles and he, yes. he, he published an article about that.
1: He was pretty proud of that article. It's a great yeah. article, man. Um, yeah. I definitely would take his advice.
0: Win, but yeah and as far as other people i i do get people all the time not all the time but a lot of the time i get people who who come to our shows who saw the doors yeah. in the you know late 60s or 70 and that's always, you know, cool to hear. And they often say nice things about our band in comparison to the doors. And that's always interesting to to get those kind of that kind of feedback and just to meet those people. And I met John Densmore at a book signing in Atlanta. Jeez, that was like ten years ago now. And we actually the band we went and got our picture taken with him. And then I, I met Robbie. Actually the first I met Robbie in uh Like The year 2000, he played, he did a show in Atlanta at this little club that's not there anymore. Afterwards, he came out and signed autographs and stuff. And I remember I shook his hand and got his autograph. And I just kind of stood there next to the table where he was signing autographs just so I could kind of be near him for a little while. I've actually met him, I guess, twice now. And he's really, he's such a nice guy, really humble. And unfortunately, I never got to meet Ray. Obviously didn't get to meet Jim, but I've been to his grave a couple of times. So
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool, man. I, I've got to meet, I met Robbie. I've never met John and I'm, I got to talk to Jack Holzman though. He was a really interesting oh, wow. to talk to. That's,
0: that's cool. Yeah. That was when
1: they did the door series of trivia. I actually got on there. Super, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right.
0: I remember that now. Yeah. So
1: I got on there super early and uh, yeah. he was on there with, I forget who his assistant's name was at the time. But but I talked to talked to him for a long time, and I was oh, that's great. I think they and they might have even followed you on Twitter for a while. They the account the doors account used to follow me on Twitter, and sometimes I would get in mm. discussions with whoever ran their Twitter. Right. Uh, recently, I think after Primary Wave bought them out, they unfollowed everybody that ah. they did previously follow. I think they only follow right. like five accounts now, and mostly people yeah. who run I think people who run the account. And anyway, but you know that was a pretty cool time whenever you could do that. <laughs> going back to talking, you know, speaking of social media, you talk about growing out your beard. During the pandemic, you did a lot of great Doors covers, man, that I that I thought were really groovy. Some of the Thanks. guitar covers.
0: Yeah, it was just, you know, it was that crazy time and just sitting around house, you know, couldn't go to work, couldn't go anywhere and, and couldn't do any shows, obviously. So I used to play guitar when I was, I guess, teenager, 20s. And then at some point I kind of lost interest in it. But, you know, with the the quarantine and the pandemic and everything i thought oh maybe i can do some videos from here and so i i, I broke out the guitar and got my finger strength back up a little bit <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah i, I tried to try to do some interesting just acoustic covers of certain songs and uh yeah i had fun doing those and yeah. then there's <laughs> it's, it's the last the last time i did one of those I don't know if I've touched my guitar since since then, and it's been a while now. So, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think even Angela even commented on some of those. Angie yeah. said, good job. I remember Wishful Sinful was a really solid one. So, oh, uh, you, know, c- you know, kudos on that. And moving on to other forms of video on the internet, you have a YouTube channel, which yes. I've seen some very, I mean, really cool stuff, sort of. Smaller documentaries. Well, the Do- the Doors movie one's about an hour and ten minutes, if I remember something around there.
0: It's a it's yeah it's a, a little over an hour. Yeah, yeah. So and, uh, yeah. I made a. We can talk about the movie. I actually saw. It's funny. My mom took me to see that movie in 1991 when I was 12 years old, which is crazy. <laughs> we think <back> about that <laughs> yeah. now. And it was it was very awkward sitting next to my mom watching that movie at certain parts. You know, then I saw it several times over the years after that. As I learned more and more about the band, I realized how much. In that movie was just completely fabricated or how much of it was just very mm-hmm. exaggerated and how they left out a lot of stuff. And then with the band, my band, you know, we would do shows and then we'd talk to people afterwards and, and they would be like, oh, Jim was such a horrible person. And I was like, oh, well, why do you say that? Oh, well, you know, the movie. And, and like people would refer to the movie a lot yeah. or they, oh, you know, he locked his girlfriend in the closet and set it on fire. Oh, you know, he, then Thanksgiving and he, the knife. And I was like, well, that that didn't happen. And and so people, you know, there, there's the people say, oh, come on, it's just a movie. Everybody knows it's just a movie. And that's true. But there are people who see it's a movie about a guy named Jim Morrison and a band called The Doors. And, and it's like, you know, you you're going to be influenced by it, even if in the back of your head, you're thinking, oh, it's just a movie. But you know you walk away thinking you've gotten some kind of uh an accurate picture of this guy and and i just don't think that's the case and so i i thought for a long time about making some kind of video that kind of breaks down the movie and what's true and what's not it was something i thought about for years literally and then i finally like started working on a script and then i finally like started actually putting stuff together and then i i realized that the the 30th anniversary of the release of the movie was coming up. And I was like, that's gonna be my deadline. That's yeah. when I'm gonna do it. And so that's what I did. And then I so I put it out. I actually the original version got it got close to half a million views on YouTube and a lot of comments and a uh, good and bad. And then I I kind of took some of the feedback from that and I I did a newer version where I kind of and actually there are a few things in the video that were I actually learned later were not quite accurate that I fixed, and then I I kind of explained a little bit more why I made the video, making the point that I pointed out both the minor inaccuracies and the major inaccuracies, because in the original version, I don't think I really explained enough that I was pointing out both things, and some people, some of the minor stuff, people like, who cares what his necklace looked like? Who cares what is, you know, and it's like, yeah, that's okay, that's minor stuff, but I just, I wanted to get everything in there and really point out everything, and so, yeah, that was... It was a lot of work, but yeah, I, I was pretty happy with how it turned out. And yeah, got a lot of yeah, a lot of watches. Yeah.
1: It is, it inspired me a lot, and I got to talk to Randall Johnson. And yeah, he, he you know he was such a cool interview. And I I have plans coming up. I still got to work out the details. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, but I'm, I want to do a commentary with him. Sort of, we watch the movie. Oh, interesting. I put together sure. some notes, and we talk about things as it's happening. Uh, he's, I
0: would be very curious to see his original script before Oliver Stone rewrote it because I I know that stone made a lot of changes to his script i've also always wanted to you know no one here gets out alive was originally just written by jerry hopkins and then danny sugarman and ray manzarek they got their hands on it and made a lot of changes and i've always been curious to see what jerry hopkins original draft was like and i don't even know if that exists anymore but maybe somewhere so yeah that would be interesting
1: you know, I feel like we've covered a lot. I wanted to end it uh, with just some rapid fire questions. Maybe and it don't have to be as rapid fire, mm-hmm. but some yeah. things that I, I put together that I think doors fans, uh, you know, something they're opinionated about or something or something I find that, that are interesting. Sure. So, so these are some questions that I had that I'm just going to fire off that you just can give me however mm-hmm. big, however long an answer. You don't have to be rapid fire. If you could go back and see any doors live show, which show would it be?
0: Hmm. Well, I guess, you know, I've always heard that the uh, Fillmore East concerts in 1968 were amazing um, Mm -hmm. in New York, and so that would probably be some good ones to check out. The Roundhouse in London in 68, you know, there's video of that. To see that in person would probably be pretty great. It would be interesting to have been at the Miami concert, especially knowing what we know now and kind of see how that actually all played out, or New Haven for that matter. Those are some... Big ones, but not necessarily for the, the musical content, but just for the historical purposes. But
1: yeah, you know. I, th- I think I'm agreeing with you on Fillmore East. From talking yeah. to Joshua White, that that whole venue seems amazing, man.
0: Yeah, it's a bank now. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Which album is your favorite?
0: Gee, that's. I guess I usually. I guess I usually say Strange Days. I, I feel like that's the most solid from beginning to end. But you know, I might if you caught me on another day. I might say the first album, or I might say. Even LA Woman or, you know, I don't think Waiting for the Sun and Soft Parade are their best. Uh, some people I know, I've talked to people who think any album they would say, oh, it's their best. But um, yeah. for me, th- those two, I kind of, you can tell Jim's interest was waning and uh, and I think it shows. But there's great stuff on those albums, don't get me wrong. But just in terms of Doors albums, I, I-, I guess... I usually say strange days,
1: so. Okay. I'm I'm a LA woman you on there just because I love the blues
0: tinge, I mean, man, that's, You can't go wrong with LA Woman either. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Have you discovered something interesting when researching the band that maybe caught you off guard? Like, Um, like for instance, I guess I was listening to, was a Howard Smith interview where Jim talked about loving to go? Like he went multiple nights to see Peggy, Peggy Lee. Like like, what? Like, that's just crazy to me. Well,
0: I I guess, I mean, and there might be stuff that, you know that surprised me a long time ago, but I guess I've been I've been you know researching the doors for so long that maybe stuff that once upon a time was surprising now I don't think of it that way. I something okay I mentioned like Robbie's book and Vince Trainer's book. There were like in Vince's book, he he mentions a couple of times that it was Ray was the one who was steering the doors in a more blues direction later. And and I've always heard that it was Jim and, and I've always kind of thought that it was Jim who, who had that influence, but, but according to Vince, it was Ray who was really pushing that, which that surprised me. And I don't know how, I don't know how accurate that is, but that, that certainly was kind of like, Oh, that that's, that doesn't compute with what is normally in my mind. Um, and then I thought in Robbie's book, it was interesting when he talked about the whole episode with the come on Buick, light my fire yeah. controversy. Everybody that I'm aware of, John Ray, Bill Siddons, they said that Jim was furious that they you know, basically were selling out to this large car company and according to robbie jim wasn't really it wasn't so much about that it was more jim was just mad that they made this decision without without him so that was kind of interesting that robbie had a different perspective than everybody else um who who everybody else seemed pretty solid about their their memory of it so yeah yeah. which which sort of changed a couple of recent recent things that kind of caught my attention
1: which that also sort of changes the whole uh the whole John Densmore, the doors and hinge book too. Cause that was one of his biggest points was that Jim, Hey, we're protecting the yeah, legacy. Exactly. Cause go back to this point where Jim didn't mm. want Buick having the song. So mm. if that is the case, that does, that does change that whole episode, you know? Right. And, you know, speaking of that, the, the Robbie, how he got the black eye, that was always been a point oh. of contention.
0: Oh yes. And then yeah, maybe well, that one's too that obvious
1: that, to, to remember. Yeah. You know?
0: It was good that that finally came out. And I'd actually, I had heard, among other you know he he said that he got in a fight with jim and then there was another story that he and jim had gotten beaten up by some redneck or something and (laughs) then i had actually heard the the one about the car accident somewhere before and i and i always kind of thought that's probably what it is because the other stories are probably too good (laughs) you know Uh, and so but yeah i mean it's a horrible accident that happened and then but uh but yeah it it was that's always been one of the big mysteries where did he get that black eye (laughs)
1: If you had to pick a favorite Doors epic, you know, the end when music's over, whatever, etc., which would you choose?
0: I mean, I guess speaking from the perspective of the Dirty Doors... I know when the music's over, that's one in the band that we all four agree with is one of our favorites to perform. That's, it's just a great dramatic uh, song with, you know, different peaks and valleys. And and I probably go with that, with that one. But I mean, I love the end and I love Celebration of the Lizard and I love Saw Parade. And actually, I like the the live version of the Saw Parade from the the critique Critique, special better than the, uh, even than the album version. Really? Huh. Yeah, I just I like I love Jim's energy in that he's so into it, and I just I don't know it's the the one on the album is very produced with all the yeah. different you know with the different vocal tracks and the in, uh, instruments and stuff, and I just I just love that it the one on critique it's the four of them just pounding away and it's live and and Jim's really going for it, and I I think it's great.
1: Yeah, probably pick one music. So over, yeah.
0: so I, a I'm glad that that TV show was made. B I hope that the doors release the yeah. high quality version of it that does exist and not the crap quality that they put out on that Soundstage DVD uh however many years ago. Yeah, <laughs> <But> w- <anyway. laughs> which they even had it when
1: that Soundstage DVD was released. So I don't know why they did that.
0: Yeah, I, somebody.
1: And the weirdest up. thing with my copy, I got the double see, the double DVD pack with the it had the the your, the Denmark Soundstage performance. Was it the Soundstage the Denmark Soundstage performance that they did on the stage? well,
0: yeah, well the the one I have is just a single disc. It has the end from uh from, that from the Canadian yeah. show. It has a uh, it has the Denmark, or it has it, or it's uh yeah the Danish TV show and 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 the critique special.
1: I think technically yeah. it was it was it was a double disc. It was called I think it was Live in Europe is what they called the one. Oh,
0: okay, yeah, that that's another yeah maybe yeah. they had them together and they
1: had them together with the with the soundstage show, but they had them on the wrong disc. So if you put in Live uh, in Europe, it was the soundstage, <laughs> and if you put in yeah. soundstage, it was Live in Europe. So. Yep. Uh, the doors at their finest which I'm here's not going off on a on a little tangent i always hate how the doors do this crap where where they re- did the doors re-evolution like here's everything but if we've had it on another disc it's not on here so you expect yeah. the people who had like the 99 doors collection yeah. who hey go put in this and then swap dvds and you can see the second yeah it's so yeah. annoying well it's yeah they, so,
0: yeah, um, like for the Smothers Brothers, Touch Me is on one disc, but if you want to watch Wild Child, it's on a different disc. Yeah, from it? like
1: t- like twelve <laughs> years earlier, man. Yeah, uh, yeah,
0: and it, and yeah, I again don't want to get too negative. No, I, uh, I know they, the Doors have a long history of screwing up releases. You can go to the first album; it was the speed was incorrect on that album yes. for forty years, and then they yeah. finally fixed it in two thousand six. So you know, there's a lot of things, can, but again. We love the doors. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what we're
1: talking about. 100 percent. We love difference. the doors, and we yeah, love yeah. to point out, yeah, yeah. you know, the yeah, shortcomings. Hey, and if you yeah. think we're bad, go go read the Steve Steve Hoffman forum oh, or yeah, something I, else. Man, they. I,
0: I actually, I I used to go on there more often, but it, yeah, it's I, it's and then there's always people weighing in, and they act like they're an authority, and you think, do they really know what they're talking about, or are they just speculating? And yeah, so
1: i think there was a a matrix thread like for the new matrix release for like 12 years before this most recent release like they're they're making a new one so
0: coming soon yeah i mean well we we knew they were going to put all that out of or i guess we knew they were going to put it all out eventually and glad they did but then like that's another thing you can talk about is on the matrix release the the new one they cut out the tuning and the chatter between songs and And like in one part, it's like, oh, come on, just release the entire thing. But then I think about it and it's like, okay, well, some of the songs, there's long gaps between them. Who wants to listen to silence? B, they have to think about streaming platforms now because that's where most, especially younger people, hear music now. They don't want to hear tuning and long gaps between songs on Spotify or whatever. So they have to kind of and they're not going to do multiple you know, edits for different platforms. I don't think so. I think they just kind of have to fear what makes the most sense for the widest audience. And so I guess that's, so at least we have the songs, those recordings of the songs in the highest quality, but it is nice to hear the stuff in between to get, really get the feel of the live show. But you know, we can't always get.
1: Yeah. Beggars can't be choosers. I guess (laughs) I I really wish, I don't know why they ever left the bright midnight. I love the bright midnight stuff, man. I love the the labeling and.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, and no, and they they definitely did some great releases on that. I remember when they announced it; it's like every six months we're going to put out a new release, and it took them like how many years to get everything out finally. And then yeah. now that we're finally getting Bakersfield soon, which will probably be out by the time people hear this. I'm very curious to hear that, and it's very strange to me that they didn't do "Light My Fire" at that show. Apparently, either it wasn't recorded or they didn't do it, which would be weird, but possible. And then uh, apparently. There's talk that they're going to put out the Seattle show next year because uh, when they posted on the record store day, like on the page for the release of the Bakersfield, there was like content on the page, like, you know, in the text that was clearly referring to the Seattle show. And like it talked about someday soon and some other stuff. And it was like and so people are speculating, oh, maybe that's going to be the release next year, which I would be very surprised if they put that show out, because that is a bad that is an exa- that's always an example I point to of a bad doors show. Uh Jim was drunk or bored or both. And it and yeah, at least someday soon is the great thing about that recording. But like the when the music's over with the 10 minutes of feedback and, and yeah, and just he just sounds like he's so not into it on so much of it. But uh, then on the other hand, it's like doors. Live recordings are precious, and there's so few of them, so I guess we should hear whatever there is. And yeah,
1: oh, give me it, give me every door, man. I'll, I'll, yeah,
0: listen, yeah, I'll, I'll no, listen to I, I, I want to hear everything. It. It's just, I just, it just, it, I never thought they would put that out on an official release. Uh, because I just, that seems like one that people will complain about when they hear it. But who knows? <laughs> That's true.
1: if you had to pick a one-year period that was the door's golden era to you, what time frame would it be? It doesn't have to be January to January. It can be, or January yeah. to December. It can be any period that you think, man, I mean,
0: this is I, the era. You know, I, I always, I know, I, I don't know. I feel kind of like it's, I don't, I feel like it's the, the, it's a typical answer, but I, I feel like it's 67, 68, it, it, either just because to me, that was the time, especially '67, when Jim was still all in on the band, and I think he was. Yeah, I think he was. He was. He was focused, and he was ambitious, and he wanted the band to succeed, and he wanted the band to be well received. And and I think, I feel like after Strange Days, I I feel like I don't know if I don't know if it was the drinking or the pressures of now suddenly being in this big famous group or maybe both and, and other stuff. But I feel like, you know, he, he, he lost interest soon after that. And, you know, apparently waiting for the sun was a real headache to make because Jim wasn't really that into it. And he was drinking a lot. And that was even when he said he wanted to quit and Ray talked him out of it. And then, uh, you know, soft parade, he, he only wrote half the songs on that album and just, also seemed to kind of, and then, 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 Miami happened and then, you know, whatever. But I, I just feel like, I, I guess I, I just feel like 67, maybe like summer of 67 to summer of 68, or I don't know how to, how to break it down, but I, I just feel like that was the time when Jim was kind of still the most energetic and, and I, you know, that's the classic Jim with the, the hair and the pants and the belt and the, you know, the, the, the one that most people think of when they think of Jim Morrison. But I, but I also, you know, to me, it's just like the doors, it's, it's the whole thing. And and it, it wasn't that long of a period. They were only really on the, they were together for, with Jim for barely six years and they were on the national scene for like four years. So that's, you know, really nothing. When you think about some of these other bands, um, yeah, and six great albums in that short period of time. So it's hard. I don't know. It's hard to narrow it down. It's a, it's kind of like with, you know, the Beatles, they had a slightly longer career and went from love me do to, you know, Sergeant peppers. And then, you know, yeah. let it be in Abbey road and in, in such a short period of time. And, and I love all that stuff. I love the early Beatles and I love the late Beatles and I love the psychedelic stuff. So it, it it's hard to pick a favorite, but I just, in terms of like how I, f- I feel like. Like I said, I feel like Jim was most into it. Still, sixty-seven, maybe into sixty-eight. Um, yeah,
1: if I, if I, I would say September of sixty-seven. You get yeah. the Ed Sullivan Show. I like that. Dan, I like the Danbury High School show. I th- always thought that yeah. was inter- interesting. And yeah. I think it was like October second of sixty-seven. And then in sixty-eight, you get uh, yeah, the Hollywood the Bowl. Tour. You know, you yeah. Yeah, get the European tour, and it it would end. I guess um, what in the Singer Bowl performance. I guess which. Maybe not yeah. the best, but I thought that was a really cool show. I think Jim- Yeah,
0: well, and when uh, the Europe tour was after that. So yeah, Singer Bowl was like in uh, August. And then they, they did a few more shows in late August before going over to Europe in September. And then they, yeah, they and most of the European shows were great, except, well, you know, of course, uh, Amsterdam, where Jim had a little too much fun yeah. and wasn't able to perform. Um, and then it was after that, though, and it was apparently the period after the Europe tour and when they started up again, and like, I guess actually their first show after that was on Halloween, I just posted about it on Instagram. Louisville, um, right? But, uh, uh, Louisville, yeah. yeah. And uh, But uh, apparently it was in that month period when the whole thing with Buick happened. And it was funny because those shows, those first shows back after that, Jim wore a red sweater and these white pants on stage. And it was yeah. so weird. And, and it's like, I see those pictures. And it's like, what? And I I really, he's making a statement. And to me, it just doesn't seem like, because he never wore anything like that on stage before. And and suddenly going from, and he didn't always wear the leather pants. That's another big myth that he would, but, you know, he went from you know usually wearing leather and sometimes they were just like black pants, but then suddenly he's wearing these white pants and this red sweater. And it's just like what are you doing, man? And, and I, I don't know if he was expressing his disappointment with the group of, of what they had done. I don't know if he was just like, I don't want to do that lizard King thing anymore. So I'm going to wear this. And, but then it, he did bring, finally, he brought the leather pants back for a few more shows in 68. Miami was the last time he wore them on stage.
1: Yeah. So I, I think I still, am, cause I, I want to get that Sullivan show and you still have yeah. March, oh, More no, East and, and shows and, you know, that's, uh, that's Hollywood Bowl.
0: the Ed Sullivan show is in my opinion, that's, an instance of where Jim, you know, say so he, he, you know, that's the thing about I intelligence sensitive human being that always forces me to blow it at the most important moments. Yeah. I feel like Ed Sullivan was one where he actually rose to the occasion. I think he knew it was a big deal and uh, light my fire, especially he killed it and it was great. And I think, you know, that was probably where most people in America anyway saw really saw him in performing for the first time because everybody watched that show back then and that was their first like national prime time tv show tv appearance and i think he i think he he actually (laughs) did a good job on that one
1: yeah and then in with the singer bowl august 2nd of 60 so i I feel like that's a good window Uh, if you had to pick a favorite door song, which one would it be?
0: Oh boy, <laughs> that's gosh. I mean, I mean, you know, I I'm break on through was the one that like really grabbed my attention first, and I mean, you can't go wrong with that one. But then, I mean, like when the music's over is great, and
1: uh, it's like I picking children, that, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's hard. People. Often will ask me, you know, at our shows and stuff, people ask me what my favorite is. And I usually, my favorites to sing are, are usually the ones where I really get to like scream my guts out, Yeah, like, like break on through or, uh, five to one is a good one for that or, uh, not to touch the earth. That's a real fun one to sing. So I kind of, as far as performing, those are my favorites to perform, I guess. But, yeah. uh,
1: so wintertime, sing. wintertime love, not up there.
0: you know that's actually not one of my you know it's a lot of people like that song it's okay but to me it it was always such a weird song in their catalog and and robbie krieger wrote that one for those who don't know so it it, that one and like do it which on the saw parade album to me that's that to me that's the most blatant version or example of we made this up in the studio and decided it was close enough to being a song because it's just it's, hey. not, it's clearly not something somebody sat down and wrote out and thought, oh, this will be a great song. When I,
1: when but, now you're, yeah, next thing you're going to, you know, you're going to start bashing push, push, push. Come on now.
0: Oh, well, that one didn't even make the <laughs> <laughs> out oh, It did. It did. It did. <laughs> it did.
1: So speaking of that underrated album, what do you think is the more underrated album or the better underrated album, Morrison hotel or soft parade, or I guess you can throw waiting for the sun in there too.
0: Morrison hotel. I think is underrated of those three. Yeah, that one, that one, cause that, that one to me, that's, that's their kind of, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for that. That's their kind of, their ballsiest album maybe is the uh, it's it i love stuff that's a little rough around the edges and that one to me is probably the grittiest or something it it just and i feel like the the cover really the 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 crappy motel and then yeah. the, and then the and the bar on the back i feel the cover really reflects the content on the album like roadhouse blues is just this great gritty blues shuffle but yeah, but they're you know, like there's Waiting for the Sun on that album and there's Peace Frog on that album and yeah. The Spy and Queen of the Highway is a really cool song that I don't think it's enough attention. So yeah, that that album's got it all. But I, I, I you know, I like all their albums and I so it it's it's also hard. But I, I yeah, I, I think wait uh maybe Morrison Hotel doesn't get enough love these days.
1: Yeah, um, g- give me soft parade. I am a soft parade uh, guy. I I know it's it's not the title no, choice, it, but
0: well it's you know, it's just the horns are kind of. You know, I I feel like they were trying too hard to. Oh, dang it, man! I dig uh, it. I know. I like on uh, the sax solo on "Touch Me" is really cool, but it, it just back then everybody was trying to follow the Beatles. But even but Ray and and John both said that they from their earliest days they were talking about doing something with horns because they were yeah. so much into jazz. I think it it works on some of the stuff. And, you know, but that album's great, too. It's got Wild Child. And actually, Shaman's Blues and Wild Child are two of my favorite songs that, especially Shaman's Blues doesn't get talked about much, but that's such a cool, yeah. jazzy, uniquely Doors song. Like, I don't know any other group that would do that kind of song. And, and Wild Child's a really cool rock song. But yeah, I mean, the, there's a lot of great stuff on that album, too.
1: Yeah, Running Blue, too. Bluegrass yeah, that's Legends. A, that's a, that's, a, Man, that's a, Jim and Jesse. That's...
0: Yeah, that's an, Running Blue is an interesting one. And we've actually, we've done that one sometimes. The Dirty Doors have, and and people like that one. It's fun.
1: Yeah. And I tried to contact, I think Jesse is still alive. He's in his nineties. I tried to contact
0: him.
1: Jesse. And he, he, uh, Jesse McReynolds, he played on.
0: Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think he's in his nineties being from Alabama and I'm entrenched in the bluegrass. I mean, Georgia has a lot of bluegrass roots too, you know. Yep. it was always so interesting. I grew up on bluegrass to see them in, in, you know, growing up, listening to Jim and Jesse. And then they're in a doors out, you know, right on a doors album. But I tried to contact him, but he has a voicemail box. That's like overfilled that he like posted somewhere in like the nineties. So I'm, uh, oh boy. You know, who knows? Yeah. Maybe I don't live far from there. Maybe just drive up there. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Knock on the door. You never yeah, know. Just go
1: knock on random doors. <laughs> hey, you know? Yeah. That'd go over great in 2023. Right. Uh, maybe it, yeah. though, it would be different for him. I'm sure he he's used to that kind of sensibility. Yeah you <laughs> How do you think their music has aged in the intervening years? What what makes the doors still relevant?
0: I mean, I, I guess I'm biased. I, I just, I to me, I I just it doesn't sound old. It doesn't sound. I mean, okay, maybe some of it sounds a little dated, but for the most part, I just feel like Break On Through is as exciting and energetic as anything. Even um, or L.A. Woman for that out for that matter. It's I just there's a certain timelessness to the the sound and the lyrics and the, i just think it speaks to a maybe a rebellious spirit that you know and it's something that i think a lot of teenagers go through a doors phase i certainly did and i never never came out of it yeah. i think they were thinking about that I, m- I remember reading that robbie said that you know when he started writing songs jim told him to use universal imagery and you know yeah. don't write about stuff that's going to be Dated or that that's you know that just write about stuff that everybody cannot relate to and that's when he latched onto the idea of writing about the elements earth air fire and water which is cool and you can go through his songs and kind of figure out where where he was yeah. thinking about that yeah so, yes the river knows one that yeah. comes to mind that I love sure. but- that's such a that's that's another song that doesn't hardly ever gets talked about yes the river knows and it's such a cool and like Ray's piano part on that is so beautiful it's such an interesting. Interesting song. Oh.
1: I really wish they could have got "Waiting for the Sun" on "Waiting for the Sun." I know, I know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah,
2: it's good. Well, on Hotel.
0: It's always been funny to me that there's "Waiting for the Sun." Uh, there's a Queen song called "Sheer Heart Attack." They had an album called "Sheer Heart Attack," and "Sheer Heart Attack" is not on the "Sheer Heart Attack" album. And uh, Led Zeppelin, of course, has "Houses of the Holy." The song "Houses of the Holy" is not on the album "Houses of the Holy." So it's it's funny how and there's yeah, probably other that- examples.
1: Which Black Sabbath actually had an album called Black Sabbath? Then Black Sabbath was on it. So why can't people
0: <laughs> take take a well, cue? For, L.A. Woman is on L.A. Woman, and Soft Parade true. is on Soft Parade, and wait, and oh, Strange Days is on Strange Days. But yeah, I I don't know if they recorded Waiting for the Sun during the Waiting for the Sun album. Even I don't know if there's like an early version of it that we that's obviously never been released. If there is, so I don't I don't know exactly what the story is there. Yeah, there's some other like Lamerica, from yeah. the L.A. Woman album, I've always and a, a lot of people wonder was it actually recorded during the L.A. Woman sessions? Because it was certainly written before that because it was I, Michael Antonioni for films uh, yeah. film, Zabrisky Point. He asked the Doors to write him a song and that's the song they wrote but that, that was in like 69. He didn't like the song and didn't use it so, but I'm wondering did they record it then and that's just the recording from then or is the recording on the album from the L.A. Woman album and I don't know on the Ellie woman credits. It doesn't say anything in say anything about being recorded at a different time or with a different bass player. So it it
1: does sound vastly different though. I I think as far as audio quality goes, like just, I, I don't know like it sounds different vocally maybe and mm-hmm. in, in the way it was recorded and maybe i'm wrong on that it, and i don't think is there any outtakes of it on the no there's workshop? not so
0: that's that's another that kind oh, of man, uh, raises the uh, the question i'm sure you know i don't think they were great about keeping records of that kind of stuff i don't know if they i get the feeling a lot of times that they just don't care <laughs> and so there's yeah. like whatever you know memories aren't always great so who knows yeah. that's that's one of those little mysteries that i kind of wonder about sometimes
1: of course all yeah this is the same band that ended up having all their their uh outtakes and stuff thrown out in the in a dumpster so. Yeah yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, not sure. Of course some of that ended up. I think we didn't rock his dad somebody find it in the dumpster or something. I
0: don't well know. I, I think some of the stuff that was on the um Morrison Hotel box or not the box box at the you know the deluxe the whatever they yeah. called it released a few years ago I think there was stuff on there like the Queen of the Highway the different takes of that and Roadhouse Blues I think those were on some tape that was discovered yeah uh in in the trash or something
1: interesting stuff yeah! So, which era of the Doors do you prefer just based off these two? The 67 acid-drenched psychedelia or are you going with the 70s gruff whiskey blues?
0: Yeah, uh, I like I like it all, man. I don't know, it's it's hard to it's hard to separate it out. Um and you know they had Back Door Man was on the first album so they had the blues going. It was. Up, it yeah, was Yeah, back then too and and they certainly did a lot of other blues covers in the early days. And and uh La America was kind of a psych it's sort of psychedelic i think so they they kind of had both of those things going on throughout their career but uh i don't know i don't know if i can i don't know if i can pick on that one sorry that's fair that's fair <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I did have another question. It was it was talking about their legacy, and it's sort of similar. To another question, but I guess when you compare them to other bands of the time, mm-hmm. uh, that you know, Jimi Hendrix, The Animals, Jeff, right. well, more I guess more of the uh, Eric Burden, The Animals was more psychedelic, right? Uh, you know, Jefferson Airplane, Rolling Stones. Where do they match up? Like where? I, of course, you're they're probably your personal number <laughs> one, but I guess from yeah. a as unbiased of a standpoint as you can come from, where do you think they they match up? Of course, the Beatles are in there too, but they're sort of on a pedestal of well, their
0: own. Yeah, yeah, the Beatles are their own category, really. I love the Beatles. Oh yeah, and I love the Stones, and I, 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 Hendrix is great, and and all that. I think if if I can be critical of the Doors, and I can, they were inconsistent, and and Jim was inconsistent, especially. But even the the whole band, like you know, you hear some of the live recordings, and they're just like they clearly haven't, they weren't, they didn't practice, they didn't rehearse, and and like especially in the later you know 70 69 70 they didn't do a whole lot of concerts and so they weren't i don't think they were they just weren't always um as together as they could have been i think they were much tighter in 67 and 68 because they were just playing a lot more at the at that time and you know jim most of the shows were dependent on jim's mood and what how how drunk he was and uh if he was really drunk it it might be an entertaining show but it's not going to sound that great yeah. and but he could also like the Seattle show, he could just be kind of like barely even there and and just kind of phoning it in. Um, but then when everything was just right, they were the greatest. And, you know, he could do a killer show. And the, if the band was on and Jim was in a good mood and, you know, it, it could be magic. So I guess I don't know. I feel like they had more of a potential to do a magical performance than maybe some of those other groups. But I think they also had more of a potential to do a not-so-magical show. And uh, so I I guess it was just, there's something about the Doors, obviously, that people come back to. I think the Stones were probably more consistent in terms of performance. You know, the Beatles stopped performing, but they were always putting out the highest quality music of probably anybody. But uh, there's something about the Doors that just, uh, there's an energy and a quality to them that I just feel like you can't really get anywhere else.
1: Okay, the last question I have for you is uh, one I don't think I sent you, but this is a good last question, and I want to preface this by saying that we we here at Opening the Doors don't condone or suggest any drug use or any oh, use oh, okay. of illegal substances. Right. But for, for the point of this and, and not taking this too literally, uh, maybe with the adverse effects, which of the following would you rather do with Jim? Would you rather, <laughs> dro- would you rather drop acid on a beach in Venice in 1967 Smoke hash in Amsterdam in 1968. Have a beer at the Alta Cienega. How do you say that? Is that right?
0: Alta Cienega.
1: Cienega. Sorry, my mm. Spanish. Which, is not... I,
0: which I I have heard is there's a chance that that might be <sighs> demolished. Uh, really?
1: I've seen it's temporarily I closed. So.
0: Yeah. Um... I, I'm frankly shocked that it's still even there, but, uh, but it is a little piece, a big piece or big piece of Doors history, but it's, it's, it's a dump. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, Uh, have a, have a beer there with Jim in 69, uh, have a few shots of whiskey at the Doors workshop in 1970, or have a glass of wine at, uh, his apartment, his flat in Paris in 71.
0: Well, here's, so here's a crazy thing about me as a huge Doors fan. I've actually never been drunk in my life. I've never done any kind of drugs in my life. I've never even smoked a cigarette, so uh, you know that always shocks people. Like you love the Doors, I can't believe. You know, I guess that means I'm supposed to be an alcoholic or a drug addict or something. But, um, yeah. I mean, if I was going to do acid, sure, I would. I would do it with Jim on the beach at Venice. I don't like the taste of alcohol, but I would have a drink with him. Just you know, I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm down for just about. If if that's what I have to do to hang out with Jim Morrison, I'm, I'm down for any of those, man.
1: <laughs> down for any of those. anyone that sticks out at you like man you know that, uh, that would i mean be the, one.
0: The, the the venice beach acid thing would be pretty interesting the paris thing that would be I, I you know that's another just to spend some time with him in paris and really get a a sense of what his mood actually was like because some people say yeah. he was really depressed and he was down and he was bummed out and he was had writer's block and he was you know hating life. And then other people say, Oh no, he was happy and he was having a great time and he was, you know, motivated and he wanted to get back to making music. So I would be you know, curious to spend some time with him, have a glass of wine and figure out what, what is his state of mind? And, you know, is he really gone on heroin or is he, is he motivated and, uh, you know, happy? So that would be a good way to find out, I guess.
1: Yeah. Speaking of spending time with interesting interesting people
0: mm.
1: i really appreciate being able to spend some time with an interesting person in yourself rita this was likewise you, man thank you bradley it was great and uh interesting stuff at the end i didn't know that you know i i, I drink occasionally I, I, have a uh, I, don't, I don't
0: i don't i don't i don't i certainly don't judge any yeah, but, just, yeah yeah it's not something that's it's like i don't like coffee and so i don't drink coffee i don't like alcohol i don't drink alcohol um that's fair yeah so it's just uh it's just not something for me but i i'm not a I'm not a straight edge anti yeah, yeah. whatever kind of guy. Like I,
1: like I've never, but but I think we're sort of in the same boat. I've never smoked. I've never done hard drugs. Mm. I've, I, I've never smoked weed. Yeah. Thing,
0: <laughs> it's funny. Most All of my yeah. friends like growing up or in high school and stuff, they, they did just about everything you can think of. And it's just
1: like, eh, no thanks. thanks. I've been drunk maybe seven or eight times in my life. I'd say like, I would say I was inebriated, but most of the time I've just enjoy a drink. Cause I got a tiki bar on the back porch and I enjoyed just sort of, hanging out and you know just a casual one drink or two you know so nothing too big but man i really appreciate your time go see the dirty doors you have a facebook page uh oh yeah we're youtube channel are you got yeah oh
0: yeah we're, we're the dirty doors tribute i think on facebook and we're on instagram we're the dirty doors and on youtube we're the dirty doors and i I guess we're still on Twitter X now, whatever. I don't really use it much anymore. We're the dirty doors there as well? So the uh, dirty doors, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And if you Google the dirty doors, you'll find us. Yeah, really, uh, really active.
1: Yeah, really active on Instagram. Uh, How many? How many followers do you think you have? I can. Uh, Sixty nine
0: thousand or something. Yeah, and I actually. Oh, now I can plug my other Instagram account. I used to have. Well, so we have a the dirty doors account and i used to post a lot i used to post both doors content and dirty doors content a lot of history and for some reason earlier this year i don't know if they changed the algorithm or if uh, or if we got shadow banned or whatever it is but it it just it was weird like so all of a sudden we stopped getting more followers and i like the likes on my posts just dropped dramatically and i don't know what happened so i our the dirty doors account now is just about the dirty doors and occasionally I'll post something about a, if it's an anniversary of a Doors album. But I have a, a new Instagram account or new-ish Instagram account called Daily Doors History. And that's where I post every day. I'll post a, about a concert that took place on that day or if an album was released on that day or some little piece of Doors history daily. So Daily Doors History. Oh, man,
1: that is awesome. Yeah, I just followed it. Uh, okay. So, yeah, that is super cool, <laughs> yeah. man. It's good to see. Yeah. A lot of good content and read, read posts, some amazing. It's a lot of the dates that I probably should remember. Uh, and he posts about <laughs> them. So again, go follow, you know, the dirty doors anywhere you can find them. Look for their upcoming shows. If they're coming near you in daily doors, history also look for them yes. on Instagram. So awesome stuff, man. Is there anything else you want to, you want to plug before we leave or is that, is that about? Oh else?
0: no, I, th- I think that's it. But yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, congratulations on the on the podcast. I know you were talking about it for a while, and I'm glad you got it off the ground. And yeah, yeah, man. I'm,
1: well, I'm, I'm glad I could too. I'm and, and hopefully we can get you on maybe to cover a cover something one day. I'm not sure what show you'd want to cover, but man, we we uh, I'll hey, come I'll come mind. up with a list of things, and and maybe we can we can figure something out. And okay, uh, but anyway, man, I appreciate you coming on.
0: I'll Likewise, kind of thanks start. for having me.
1: Thank you again to Reed Barrettman. You can find his band by searching for the Dirty Doors. ...on all social media platforms. You can also find Reed's other Doors account by searching for Daily Doors History on Instagram. You can find this podcast on Twitter, at The Doors Pod, and on Facebook by searching for Opening the Doors. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for guests, you can send an email to openingthedoorspod at gmail.com. I want to give a special thanks to podcast consultant Jim Cherry, who authored The Doors Examined and The Last Stage. Music for this podcast was done by Christian Cornejo of the Jimbo Tribute Band from South America. I hope to meet you back here in two weeks, but until then, keep the doors open and the music loud.